0: You are listening to a message from Southwood Presbyterian Church in Huntsville, Alabama. Our passion is to experience and express grace. Join us. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we uh, do pray for your help. We always need your help. Uh, Every moment, every day. and We're especially needy as we come to your word and seek to know it and understand it, to see it cut to our hearts, that it would shape us and mold us as you would have it. And so we ask that you would speak this morning as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, I had the privilege of preaching in Memphis as the church that I grew up in celebrates its 50th anniversary, 50 years as a church. Uh, and looking back 50 years to remember God's faithfulness is really neat. Uh, but God has been faithful a lot longer than 50 years. Uh, he's been a God of redemption since before He created the world. That's who He is. Looking back to the Old Testament even to see His character on display generation after generation is a beautiful reminder to us of who God has always been and who He continues to be today and in our lives. So this summer we're going to do that for a few weeks um, to look at what we will call redemption stories Uh, In the Old Testament, you can see a couple of them up there. You might be able to figure out which ones they are. Um, He's been working to redeem for thousands and thousands of years. And some pastors and churches these days are are critiquing the Old Testament. Um, They're they're fearful of the the wrathful God that we will find there and not like and be turned off by. But, But we will see there a God who is indeed holy and who is and has always been all about redemption, full of grace. So that's going to expand our vision of God's greatness, of His love. That, that vision we have that, that Paul tells us in Ephesians is the one thing that is absolutely essential uh, to us being the people in the church God has called us to be, that we would have a glorious vision of God, of His great love for us. And, and, and as we look back to the Old Testament, it's going to expand that vision that we have, that we might love God as we should, that we might be used of Him to transform Huntsville and the world. We need that vision. I love being able to go to the Old Testament for that. One other reason that we pastors wanted to spend some time in the Old Testament this summer, besides the fact that we've been in Luke for 17 years, not that long, um, just a couple of years, We're almost finished, by the way. Um, Many of these great stories are stories that we and our kids know and love, and so we get a chance as we look at some of these uh, Sunday school stories and and some others um, to understand stories that we love in the in the context of the big story, uh, God's big story. So that's an opportunity we'll have all through this summer. This morning we're going to start near the beginning of God's big story with a familiar episode, uh, the story of Adam and Eve, a serpent, uh, forbidden fruit, the fallout of the first sin as they rebel against the Holy Creator. Is there redemption there in in that story? Absolutely, Uh, because God is here and, and that's who He is. Read with me in Genesis Chapter 3, the whole story, and then we'll look back at parts of it together. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, And I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children." To work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim. And a flaming sword that turned every way. To guard the way. To the tree of life. Thus far God's holy. Inerrant. Infallible. Word. For which we give him great thanks. It was a really hot. August day that I. First learned a lot. Uh, about my offensive line coach in high school. I, I was a freshman on the first football team. It was the first time through two a day practices. It was sweltering out there. I didn't know what it would feel like. And I watched as one of the upperclassmen tried to block his own way, the way he wanted to do it, rather than the way that the coach had taught us. And he ended up face first on the ground. He could have gotten seriously injured. Trying to do it his own way. And and to remind him of that, he got a a metal visor clip from my coach on the back of his helmet. And the way he reacted, wincing in pain, as the the ringing in his ears. I said, I never want that ringing in my ears. I'm, I'm sure of that. But then he decided to talk back to the coach. And he got sent in full pads all of his football gear, to run up and down the steep hill up to the locker room for the rest of practice. Dripping with sweat, you can imagine he didn't run too long. Pretty soon he was crawling up the hill and almost rolling down it. Um, I knew as I watched this develop that Coach took quite seriously both Blocking your own way and the dangers that come with that. And disrespecting his authority. Adam and Eve had been promised that disobeying God would have frightful consequences. And man's first sin here, determining to distrust his good creator and insist on his own way, indeed receives God's just Punishment. We learn right away about God that he takes sin quite seriously, don't we? I mean, just just look at how this develops for a second in in this passage. Satan, having inhabited the serpent, begins to cast doubt on the word of God. Did God really say? Are you sure? But beyond that, he he casts doubt on on the character of God. It, it, can God really be trusted? Does he really have your best in mind? Is he really good? Y'all, what a, what a monstrous evil, right? Can you imagine this? This, this God who has just created this glorious, good world? And put Adam and Eve in the midst of it and said, Here's everything you need. Eat fruit from all these trees. Look at all these animals. And I'm going to walk and talk with you every day with me. And, and evil suggests that he might not be good. Evil questions his goodness. Preposterous. <laughs> No way will they buy that. I mean, we would never. But, but Eve begins to wonder, doesn't she? And, and soon, Adam and Eve decide to try their own way rather than God's. It may seem astounding, but, but we still try to handle relationships and, and our marriages our own way rather than God's, don't we? We try to handle our bodies and our sexuality our own way rather than God's. We try to handle our money, our time, our priorities, our own way rather than God's. And it's dangerous to us. And God knows that. The Creator's just Judgment is severe. The man and woman must not be left to think that they can find life their own way. It's not true. And so God pronounces curses on all of creation. In fact, right on the places they hurt the most. Adam and Eve were created to reflect God's image by filling and subduing the earth. Two things He told them to do. Now filling will be hard and painful pain in childbirth now subduing will be hard and painful thorns thistles a cursed ground but it gets worse as you read through the rest of the story what happens to Adam and Eve banishment from God's presence right their their closest friend out of the garden sent away, and and the the spiritual and eventually physical death that they'd been promised if they disobeyed. All the good creation broken. Those around you hurt by your failure. Can can you imagine for a minute the, the guilt and shame that Adam and Eve must have felt as that sunk in? As they experienced the Holy Creator pronouncing these curses sending them away how did we get taken in by that we've blown it and we we can't fix it have you felt the shame of of sin and failure kids have you felt so embarrassed or or ashamed at, at disobeying your parents at something you've looked at, at, at something you've said. The first audience of the book of Genesis had felt this. That the Exodus generation that, that God had just brought out of Egypt, now they're, they're wandering in the wilderness. Why? Because they didn't trust God. And they doubted Him and insisted on their own way, didn't they? And so here they are wandering and and perhaps wondering, how will this God respond? What's he like anyway? And they learn that he does take sin seriously, don't they? They're, They're tasting that when they get this story from Moses. But is that the end of the story? Is that all there is? See, all the other gods that they've heard about in Egypt and the the other nations around them, those other gods are like that. They take sin seriously. They're, They're terrifying, retributive. You need to watch out or they'll get you. Is Yahweh any different? Is there any hope for us in our failure now that we've blown it? Maybe you're wondering that this morning. Here's the good news of this story. In the midst of our failures, which are huge, the Holy Creator, and and He is holy, and He takes sin very seriously, He is also our gracious Redeemer. And this makes all the difference, y'all. There's no other God like this Look at how we see God's character on display here. How do we and and the Israelites learn about a redeeming God who gives failures hope? Well, it starts with a question. Where are you? Nearly every day when I get home from work, my five-year-old Lily runs and hides away from me. Um, that's kind of a, a thing. It's a game, right? Um, except that I know where she is. Uh, invariably, Lily has run up to her bed and hidden herself under a blanket, creating an unmistakable lump in the exact shape of a five-year-old little girl. It's hard to miss. But, but she hides there, and, and, and I walk up the stairs, and I say, Lily, where are you? Now, now, I know where Lily is, uh, but, but I, I asked her, where are you? And so she, she gets engaged, right? She can make noises to give me hints, or usually she just starts giggling underneath the blanket, so now it's a moving lump, even easier to spot. And, and I say, where are you? Not to get an answer, but to get her engagement, because I love her and being in relationship with her, right? If I know where Lily is under her blanket, do you think God, the Creator, knew where Adam was behind his fig leaves? Yeah. Yes, He did. And yet He says, where are you? Here comes God on His, his daily walk in the garden as He always does. Used to being with the man and the woman in, in intimate relationship. He loves them, doesn't He? He comes to walk with them. And yet today they're not running out to greet him. They're hiding, aren't they? Verse 7. They sewed fig leaves together and and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. They knew that sound. He always came to walk with them in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife did what? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the first question that God asks in the the Bible's whole story, it's not, what were you thinking? It's not, how could you possibly? What's the first thing he asks? Where are you? God's not looking for information. He's pursuing Adam in his guilt and shame to engage him in relationship because he loves him and being in relationship with him. A pastor friend of mine recently said to me that, that God asks fallen man here, where are you? And we are still avoiding that question and hiding from him. We love to hide, don't we? Adam says he was ashamed and afraid and, and, and so he hid he not run out and, and throw himself at God's feet and say, oh, Father, I'm, I'm right here. I'm feeling the pain of my mistakes, the embarrassment of my failures. I need you desperately. Here I am. No, he went, he went to the fig leaves. Man, I get that. He'd really blown it. Big time failure, genuine guilt. And when I feel that, my instinct is to hide. Don't let anybody know. Some of you hide the way that I often do, behind busyness. Just just so no one can know where my heart really is. I'll, I'll be really busy. I'll avoid God's Word, avoid prayer. Just let's do a lot. Nobody will really know what's going on. Maybe you hide by not telling your parents what's really going on. Maybe you hide behind blame shifting like Adam. This woman, you gave me. It's always someone else's fault, right? Plenty of people to blame. Maybe you hide behind alcohol. Behind religiosity, being a good person. Behind humor, behind intellect. Telling yourself as you, as you hide that, that no one, not even God, really knows you. We all have our favorite hiding spots, don't we? And of course, they're fig leaves. God sees right through us. He knows where we are, but we hide. Now maybe you're hiding this morning. God says, where are you? This won't sound like good news perhaps if you're hiding from him, but it is. No matter how good you are at hiding, your father is even better at seeking. It's not even like the odds of me finding Lily under her blanket. Um, He's way better at seeking than we are at hiding. He pursues you because he loves you. And that's good news because God makes a promise that He's he's not coming merely to shame us and punish us. He's seeking us for our good, to redeem what once was lost. God pledges to remove our guilt and shame. Isn't it remarkable that the first promise in the Bible comes in this passage? The one where we blow it and the creator king has just been spurned by his creatures. Rebellion is rampant. Here come the curses. And the verse that Christians since the first century have referred to as the proto-evangelium. The first promise of the gospel comes in the midst of God pronouncing curses Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What's God saying? I haven't given up on these failures. There's a a singular person coming from this disobedient woman who will bring hope. There's a child I'll send who will defeat the serpent once and for all. Listen to this promise, y'all. Right at the low point in the story, right? There's a certainty that evil will lose that your arch enemies will be defeated that satan will be crushed and all creation will be redeemed that's what god's saying adam and eve don't lose hope in your failure israelites wandering in the wilderness don't lose hope in your failure southwood dear friends don't lose hope in your failure The one true God is a redeeming God. That's the unchanging nature of his character. That's who he is. Do you want to know how gracious your father is? Yes, yes, you do want to know? see, See, ask me, right? How gracious is he? Okay, can you ask me that? One, two, three. That was really good, all talking during the sermon. Even in the midst of meeting out justice, he oozes out grace, doesn't he? Even in the face of our greatest rebellion, he promises redemption. Even to the most guilty and the most ashamed, he brings hope. Even to those facing certain death, he brings life, eternal life. He's so good. He's so So gracious. That's who he is. But the redemption story gets even more beautiful. Before they're sent out of the garden because of their sin, God doesn't just speak hope. He begins to act to cover our guilt and shame. I don't want to overplay the the sacrifice imagery here. But it's almost certain that we see the first example of an animal having to die so a person could be covered. Look at verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This probably means there was an animal sacrificed. But it definitely means that God demonstrates tangibly that he's continuing to care for Adam and Eve even better than they could care for themselves, right? No fig leaves, garments of skin. He hasn't abandoned them even when they've sought to abandon him. He offers protection, covering for their shame much better than their fig leaves. This time, God himself does the covering, doesn't he? And in that sense, at least, we get a taste already of the redeeming grace of God that we know most fully in Jesus. Covering Adam and Eve with animal skins is only the beginning of what God's going to do, of his care for his rebellious people In Jesus, God provides not merely a second chance for for failures who would blow that second chance anyway, but, but a second Adam, one who comes and who when he is tempted to doubt God's word and God's good character, he does what? He trusts his father. He obeys the father. He succeeds where Adam has failed and where we have failed. And yet, even though He's the the successful one, the one who doesn't give in to temptation, He does actually go to the cross, doesn't He? He goes to the cross to die where we deserve to. Galatians 3 actually says it this way, He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus takes the curse. So that we receive the blessing He earned. That's why we sang in that great hymn at the beginning of the service. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Where's the curse in this story? It's on creation. It's on you. It's on me. It's everywhere. And Jesus comes to make blessing flow everywhere. That's why we rejoice. That's why we have hope for failures buried beneath their guilt and their shame. Jesus sacrifices Himself to be a covering for us, Hebrews chapter 10 says it this way But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He crushes the head of the serpent, defeats all his and our enemies, and by his one sacrifice covers us safely forever. Verse 17 keeps going. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin No more sacrifice needed for your sin. It is finished. His was enough. No matter how shameful your failure, no matter how big your sin, His death covers you. What's God like when you fail? Can you answer that a little bit better now? He pursues you to draw you out of hiding into a relationship with Him. He promises hope at your lowest and darkest moments. He takes action to provide what you need. He's always been that way. He always will be. It's who He is. It's the first glimpse of His redeeming nature in this story. But but there are many, many more preparing us for the ultimate redemption we find in Jesus. Yahweh is the King of creation who rules justly and firmly and and living your own way rather than His is dangerous to your soul. So take heed. Don't trust yourself. And at the same time, He loves to redeem. So take comfort and, and trust Him. I said I learned a lot about my coach that really hot August day. Um, I did. I, I actually came to realize I could trust my coach, that he, he really loved me. Um, coach would eventually say encouraging things. He would pray for us before every game. God, take care of my guys. And, and so he would demonstrate his love. But I knew by the end of that first practice I could trust him. By the end of practice that day, I I saw what he was like having been disregarded, having been disrespected. He went and walked over to that hill where, where of course, the player is now crawling up the hill. and, And my coach, who is not a small man himself, got down on his hands and knees beside him and started crawling up the hill shouting encouragement to the the guy next to him, come on, you can do it, you can do it, keep coming. Of course, my coach beat him up the hill because it was his first trip. He got up to the top and he turned around, he reached down, grabbed the guy by the arm and pulled him up to stand next to him and threw his arms around his big sweaty, stinky self and hugged him. And I thought, "I I can trust him. He does love us. I I don't want to blow it. But he's the one I want around when I do. Y'all, God has entered into our sin. He has suffered for us and given us not just a a hand up, but, but an eternal security, a righteous standing with him, a new family when we deserved none of it. There's no other God like Him. No one else meets you in your failure to bring you hope and redemption. Everyone and all of creation needs to know about a God who redeems like that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we need to know that because we forget. We we fail and we, we forget that You still love us. And that you're more gracious and merciful than we believe. Thank you for giving us a reminder of that this morning. A, a picture of your redeeming nature. How you love to rescue us in the midst of our failure. Would you, would you so excite us by that that we might long for the world to know for everyone and every part of this creation to be to be touched by the God who rules over it all and who redeems so gloriously we ask it in Jesus name amen for more information visit us online at southwood.org